We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Ace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks. At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, February 14th, also known as Valentine's Day. Nick Whalen here with DJ Trainer. A lot to get to today. This is probably the most actual NBA news that we've ever had uh, prior to a podcast, like news that's all transpired within the last 24 hours. Um, we'll also talk about some things that, that occurred over the weekend, the Nurkic Plumley deal. We'll talk briefly about that. Uh, we'll talk about Orlando and Toronto making a fairly splashy move earlier today. Uh, we'll hit on Kevin Love 
and talk a little bit about the events of the NBA over the weekend, namely Warriors at Thunder on Saturday. But uh, let's start with eh, let's start let's start with the the Ibaka deal. So earlier today, Orlando shipping Serge Ibaka to Toronto for Terrence Ross and a first round pick. So which first round pick? actually ends up going to Orlando is yet to be seen. They're going to get the worst of the Raptors' two picks. So the Raptors have their own first-rounder in this 2017 draft, and they also hold the right to the Clippers' first-rounder, which is lottery-protected. Neither of those teams are going to be in the lottery. Both of those teams probably going to finish with fairly similar records. Uh, Clippers right now are 34-21. and 21, Raptors are 32-23. and 23. So you're looking at a pick that's going to be somewhere in that probably 22 to 25 range when all is said and done. Uh, so basically you're getting, you know, a 20s pick in this coming draft. You're getting Terrence Ross, who's 26 years old, for Serge Ibaka, who is a free agent this summer. Yeah, it's okay. I'm fine with it. Uh, I mean, obviously people have been judging the totality of how this chain started to begin with. And if you start from the beginning and work your way to where we are now, uh, things don't look great. But you know what? At some point you need to say, we can't jeopardize our future. We just need to move on and, and kind of like digest our mistakes and, and go on with it. So Terrence Ross has been a super interesting player. Um, he has one of the best... I guess it's like per touch turnover rates, depending on how you look at it. That's mostly because every time he touches the ball, he just shoots. Going up. Yeah, Yeah, it's going up. Um, So that's going to be great for for the Magic. What I want to see, not only from a fantasy perspective, but a fan perspective, I want Aaron Gordon to play power forward. And I want Ross or Hizonia to start at small forward. I want them to run out Hizonia and Ross at small forward. And just, it's going to be a battle. Who's, who's going to be the guy of the future? Or, or I, unfortunately, the, the end result there might not be that either of them is the answer. Um, so I've gotten a lot of questions about Biombo. You know, is he going to see increased minutes? Is he not? I'm kind of leaning towards he might have the exact same role because if you do move Aaron Gordon to power forward, um, then, you know, minutes are shifting downwards where Biombo is basically still a reserve guy in the front court. So status quo there for me in terms of Vucevic and Biombo, just hoping that Gordon's minutes shift downward and then a lot more minutes are created for Ross and Hazonia if we want to start with Orlando, which I basically just decided we're going to do. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if you want to you know, talk Biombo, I don't think this really changes things all that much for him. Um, but, but the big beneficiary is going to be Aaron Gordon, who's been basically forced to play out of position well, at small forward. Everybody's saying that, but I mean, he's still going to see about the same amount of minutes on the court. It's, it's going to be at a different position, yes. but I don't based on what everybody's saying, it's like, what a great move for Gordon. Like he's going to be so much better moving forward. He might be a little bit better, but I'm not expecting him to have way more production. Are you? No, probably not. I mean, it's, he's not shooting the ball very well this year. He's under 30% from three. Um, But I think he's going to be getting more shots around the basket. I think he was being asked to play a role as kind of a, a stretchy three when it turns out that he's actually a four. So we'll see. I mean, it's this Orlando team is pretty dysfunctional. The the coaching uh, bringing in Frank Vogel hasn't really kind of magically smoothed things over like, like some people thought it would. Um, but now at least, you know, we're going to get 30-ish games of Aaron Gordon playing where he's supposed to play. And, and, that, and that should at least help them uh, get a read on, on what his development situation is. I mean, James and I did that redraft last week of, of the 2014 draft, which involved Gordon and I think he went, I think it was seventh, eighth, ninth, something like much later than he, I think it was ninth actually, later than he did in the, in the actual draft, he went fourth. 
And the main reason was Orlando has not prioritized his development at all. They've made these short-sighted moves. They have brought in guys like Bayambo. They brought in guys like Ibaka who overlap with Gordon and have kind of pushed his development to the side as they try to make the playoffs. So like you kind of hinted that at the top, on paper, this looks like a really bad deal for Orlando when you contextualize everything that's gone into this. Ersan Ilyasova, um, who else? So basically what they did is they traded Ilyasova, Ibaka, Oladipo, the pick that became DeMontis Sabonis, all for Terrence Ross in this like 20-odd overall pick. So when you look at it that way, it looks terrible, but you also have to judge this trade itself in the context of what the Magic's current situation is. You know, when you stack everything up and say, oh, this is what they got overall, yeah, it looks terrible. I mean, it's, it's pretty indefensible, honestly, for Orlando, but you're better off doing this than Serge Ibaka just walking for nothing in June. Right. So a part of this that needs to be considered that, you know, maybe your average fan doesn't consider is that this front office, if they don't start winning games soon, and I, I'm trying to look up the names because I just don't really remember. Rob Hennigan's the GM. Yeah, so Rob Hennigan. So let's just use him and then his staff as an example here. He's been there for a while. If he doesn't start winning games now, and so getting Biombo um, was kind of a win-now move, you could even argue that grabbing Frank Vogel is more of a win-now coach than investing on a uh, maybe like a younger coach that can grow with the younger talent as well. So... Basically, Rob Hennigan is trying to save his job and maybe, you know, reach for a playoff spot, eight, seven seed or something like that. Um, and if they don't make the playoffs, he's out. So what does he care about their future? And so um, by not investing in Aaron Gordon, by bringing in Biombo, by bringing in Ibaka, it, a lot of win now moves because this GM doesn't really care <laughs> otherwise. I wouldn't say it's a lack of caring. I don't. Th- I don't think these are like reckless moves where it's just all about me. But, you know, there is some sense of I need to do something to get this turnaround quick or I'm going to lose my job. But, you know, there's also the the legacy that you leave of... No, do you, if you, if you lose your dr- Well, it's like, do you want to get another job at a front office? Like, you can't just destroy a team and... and you I know, get what count. It matters going forward. I get what you're saying, but do you think that behind closed doors, ultimatums are given to GMs at times? Yes. You need to oh, win yeah. the... If you don't make the playoffs, then we're not rehiring you. Then, of yeah. course, you're going to go out there and make a lot of win-move... Uh, win now moves like like we happen so everybody's just so perplexed how could the magic do this and because if you say well Hennigan had a ultimatum he makes the playoffs now or he loses his job then that explains every move that he's made so far it hasn't worked out but at least there's some explanation yeah. some realistic explanation behind the moves that were made yeah I mean there's certainly ownership management uh, there there are certain situations that you hear that. I mean, I think Phoenix was one of them a couple of years ago. They had Robert Sarver wanted to make the playoffs, and it was do whatever it takes to make the playoffs. And typically that doesn't end up working out very well because it's, you know, a mandate coming down from an owner of a team who's clearly not a playoff team saying be something that you're not immediately, and you end up making moves like this that, that kind of end up mortgaging your future. Um, so the Raptors, we knew for a while that they were interested in power forwards going back to January when they were – you know, close to acquiring Paul Millsap. Apparently that fell through obviously very quickly, but they get their guy now in Ibaka. Um, They apparently had a deal in place to get Taj Gibson and use that as leverage to get Ibaka. Basically it was, all right, here's our offer on Ibaka, take it or leave it. If you leave it, we're trading for Taj Gibson and you're going to have trouble, you know, finding anything for Ibaka. Zach Lowe was reporting earlier today that, you know, all the offers on Ibaka were, surprisingly low like you know he he didn't state what any of those were but I think it added context to 
okay, maybe this was the best thing they could get, you know, just getting a first round pick, even the fact that it's not a lottery pick, uh, you know, I think is probably better than some of the offers that were out there. So I think Ibaka, certainly a better player than Taj Gibson, not as good as Paul Millsap, but does bring some of the same skill set, I guess, that you're looking for. I mean, in a lot of ways, he's just like a better version of Patrick Patterson. Yeah, if you want to say that. So, well, well, the the issue here that when we've been talking about Toronto, um, when we talk about adding a power forward, is that Patrick Patterson has has been really great for them. He's right. been and a it's fantastic. huge that they were able to get Ibaka without sacrificing Patterson. Now yeah. you have both. Yeah, most definitely. And so you can use them interchangeably. Some people might actually be surprised that in crunch time minutes, it's not wildly impossible that they'd go with Patrick Patterson over Ibaka because that unit has played so well this year. So it sounds like we're switching gears to Toronto, which I'm great with. And since you brought up Zach Lowe, uh, he's been one of the major, you know, you know, big media personalities just pleading for Toronto to just go after a power forward to quote him. It is so freaking hard to get where they're at right now. Just go for it. Just go for it. I mean, he said that multiple times. Nobody respects, uh, everybody respects Zach Lowe. It seems like in the industry and that's what we were saying too, right? Just go for it, Toronto. It's so hard to get this close. Just, just add a power forward, see what happens. Uh, Ibaka, I'm sure he'll like Toronto from a, um, you know, just like a quality of life standpoint, winning basketball games and being the second best team in the East is going to be fun for him. So I think that there's, uh, a high likelihood that he would resign. Um, you're going to run into some, some money issues because Lowry also needs a new contract. We already know DeRozan got paid. Um, but from just a fun basketball side of things, I absolutely love that this is a more well-rounded team that maybe, maybe could challenge the Cavaliers. Cavaliers, I still think, are going to win, but at least we have something to look forward to, and there's another layer of hope for Toronto since they've just been beat, beaten right. repeatedly in the past. Well, Toronto and, and Boston and Washington as well also benefit from the other news that, that came down today, not on the trade front, but Cleveland now losing Kevin Love for the next six weeks, going to have his left knee scoped. This is the same knee that he had scoped in 2013. He's had problems for the last five or six years with this left knee. So it's nothing overly serious in the grand scheme of knee operations, but six weeks. Um, you know, I guess the benefit is, you know, one of those weeks is the all-star break. So you're not necessarily missing games during that time, but you know, I mean, this is, this is going to put Kevin Love out now until late March at the earliest. He'll conceivably have five or six games to kind of get back into the swing of things, but, but then it's going to be the postseason. And the question is, can the Cavaliers who are already playing LeBron James and Kyrie Irving, especially James, huge, huge minutes and asking a ton out of those guys from a playmaking standpoint, can they hold on to that number one seat in the Eastern Conference without their you know, clear cut third and on some nights second best player? Interesting that you see it that way. And I think most people probably are. Um, I guess I've never been so relaxed for such a major injury. You know, we kind of thought this was coming when he said he was going to get a second opinion. I'm not all that surprised that Love is going to sit out this long. I guess I'm just not, if I'm a Cleveland fan, I'm not terribly concerned. I I wouldn't be either because like this is so much less severe than like any kind of tear in like yeah. a ligament like they're, they're just cleaning out what they call like loose bodies whatever that means I'm, i don't know what what exactly that is but there's no like actual structural damage i think right. the concern is that this is you know the third or fourth time something's come up with this knee but the fact that there's no like actual 
quote unquote injury itself, like is pretty encouraging. And it's like better now than a month from now, right? I know. That's the thing is that you're actually preserving him from suffering a more substantial injury by holding him out. Right. And and you and I tend to tend to root for the Cavs. You more so than me, but what? you know, from an from an entertainment perspective, you know, you want the Cavs coming out of the East and, and playing the Warriors, right? That's just what it's just good basketball. It's good for the NBA. We want it. Um, you know, we want to say that LeBron James is the best player of all time, and we got to see him in his heyday. And anyways, I, I, anyways, we're 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 kind of Cavs fans here. It's, it's just fun to see them play well. And I'm, I'm not just a Cavs fan. And I, I you are. I, I'm not a Cavs. Fan. I saw you celebrate when they won. I'm you a basketball can't, man. I've never. <laughs> I'm not a business holding a football. Yeah. for some reason. But yeah, just to, to reiterate, I've never <laughs> been so relaxed about a team I want to do well. Um, with this injury, I'm just not concerned for the Cavs. I'm not concerned for their their hope to make the finals. A question I've been asked multiple times on Twitter, um, and rightly so, who's going to step up in Kevin Love's absence? Just a minute, and my quick answer, without seeing any um, actual application of this, is Channing Fry, Richard Jefferson, and Derek Williams are going to split the time. And I don't really have any confidence in saying that one of those three guys over the other is going to see substantially more time than the other. What do you think about that? I think it's Channing Frye just because he's the guy out of those three that can match what Kevin Love brings as a spacer and as a shooter. Uh, not so much as a rebounder and you know, not so much as a defender. Not that Kevin Love's a great defender, but he's a better defender than Channing Frye. Um, so it's a loss. I mean, it's a huge loss, and this is a loss for a team that was already shorthanded and um, you know, it makes you wonder. I, I was going to ask you, you know, like what is the the Ibaka deal? You know, kind of puts pressure on Boston and Washington to maybe make an addition to to kind of keep up with with Toronto, who had you know fallen behind a little bit. Uh, but the Cavs now too. I mean, this was a team that was already certainly going to be in the market for some sort of addition, whether it was a backup point guard, whether it was more depth up front. But now without Kevin Love, I think that makes it more urgent than ever. So, I mean taken everything in context both the Ibaka deal and the Kevin Love absence if you're Boston or, or and or Washington do you look at this now as all right our window you know in some ways is, is getting is getting widened at least to grab maybe a higher seed if Cleveland you know falls back at all if LeBron is rested and basically if Cleveland says we don't want the one seed or we don't care about getting the one seed there's going to be an opportunity there. Uh, and, and again, I think Ibaka going to Toronto is kind of a, all right, you're a move, guys, type of thing for Boston and Washington because Toronto conceivably should get better after the All-Star break. And if Boston and Washington don't make a move, can they you know, stay ahead of the Raptors who until a couple weeks ago were in the minds of most, I think, a step ahead? Yeah, you're, you're wise to bring that up. And what's funny is I, I wasn't on Twitter this morning, but I think the news came out, right? that Kevin Love would be out six weeks and all the teams in the East are like, oh my gosh, we, ha- we have a shot at this. Like They might not be in full full mode. And then the the news came out shortly thereafter that Ibaka was going to Toronto and then Boston and Washington and you can even throw in Atlanta were like, ah, oh, dang it, our window is, is closing. So you're right. I think there, there is this feeling of a glimmer of hope. Maybe this is the year that a non-Cavaliers team could slip into the finals just kind of by default. And, and we've said this for a long time. Um, it's a big three. Um, um, but if they only have two of those three players on the Cavs, there's there's a window for some of these other teams, especially because some of your top level teams like the Celtics with adding Horford, like um, like the Raptors adding Ibaka, uh, you know they're beefing up, they're getting closer, they're closing the gap, and it's going to be incredibly hard. A Cavs team that's down one of their top three players can't quite do it this year. So um, 
it's all, it's really fun to talk about Nick and, and say, yeah, they probably, their feet are to the fire and there's a glimmer of hope at the same time. But realistically, what can a Celtics team do? What can a Wizards team do to feel like they're, you know, responding in kind to this Ibaka news? What, what do you think? Because I think the Wizards starting five is set. What right. they need is a six man. So if they could go out there and get a Lou Williams, then, you right. know, that would be their recourse. Uh, but for Boston, we know that there's a number of things they can do. But do you think that maybe Danny Ainge might be backed into making a rush decision because no, they have be- the assets? No, because of the upcoming draft. Like, no one's going to fault them. People will fault them. I shouldn't say that. People will fault them if they stand pat again for the third straight year, basically, at the trade deadline when they have all these assets. But if you're Danny Age, the ultimate defense is where you're holding the probable number one pick in what's going to be an awesome draft. Um, you know, to us, that's, you know, that's an A, A-plus asset. So it's another year of probably falling short in the playoffs, but you're finally going to get, like, the big, big payoff I know, in all but, this. but... <laughs> And you could always trade that later. Well, because because there's this open window now with the injury to love. Again, I'm not I'm not afraid for the Cavaliers, but there's more of an opening now than there ever was before. I mean, Jimmy Butler is out there. With that number one pick, mm-hmm. you know, you could you could lure in a Jimmy Butler and you could make a strong argument that with Kevin Love coming off of injury, them meeting in the finals with the Jimmy Butler, Al Horford, Isaiah Thomas team, that that Boston team could rival Cleveland, even when they're fully healthy, much less a Kevin Love who's coming back from you know significant injury. So I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. I, I feel like the fan base and especially somebody like Isaiah Thomas who feels like he's ready to win now. Um, you got to Danny Ainge has to answer to those people if he does hold off for a third straight year. I think so. Yeah, I, I think if if you can get Jimmy Butler, it's tempting not to pull the trigger on that because of how incredible he's been this year. But I think. There's still that belief that like, could you do better, you know? And like, I, I don't know that you really could. You know, there's there, you, you could get LeBron, you could get Durant, you could get Curry, but like those guys aren't being traded, you know? Like, I don't know. There's a lot of players that are better in this league than Jimmy Butler, but they're not available. Like Jimmy Butler might be, and like the Bulls seem to be kind of willing to get rid of him on a pretty nice deal. So, yeah, I mean, it's easy for us to say, I guess, being on the outside. I mean, there's the the Celtics have this pile of assets, but they're so unwilling to give up on them there was some report today that they were involved in talks with Ibaka but they broke down because the Celtics were unwilling to give up Terry Rozier oh it's like Terry Rozier (laughs) that like no wonder you haven't done anything like if you're unwilling to get rid of your third point guard that's going to be a problem well here's the thing if I was Danny Ainge I would make the trade and of course this is just in theory and, and take that pick out of your hands because Yes, you have the probably have the number one pick overall, but there's not necessarily a consensus number one guy. I know a lot of people, you and James know the draft better than me. The draft itself in, in total might be stacked, but you still have to pick one of those guys to roll with. If he doesn't pan out and you could have gotten Jimmy Butler in return and contended for a title that year, when people look back on it, they will be all over Danny Ainge that, for that. That I do agree with. Like It's always the question of... The known commodity versus, all right, you can take Markel Fultz, but are you betting that Markel Fultz is going to be better than Jimmy Butler at his peak? And that's and a, it's like, there's a lot of people who will tell you yes, but how much better and is it worth the risk that he's not? And, and you know my stance on it. So James and I are at polar opposites. 
right? So I am never going to side with picking a rookie over a known commodity. From a fantasy perspective, from a fan perspective, I want to know what I'm getting into. And that that's that. Uh, a team like Boston is in a different situation than like Orlando or Chicago. But, you know? but here's the other thing. Has Marcus Smart panned out? Has Jalen Brown panned out? I think some people would be willing to make an argument that, you know, they really haven't done a great job so far with the draft. So why would we trust them with all these draft assets? Yeah. You might as well go for a proven commodity. Because uh, Marcus, it's not like they've like blown it on those picks though. It's like they haven't blown it, but I mean, just kind of bad drafts or bad spots to be. But in. when they could have packaged those picks, yeah, for something a known commodity like a Gordon Hayward, like a Jimmy Butler, or something they, like they tried that. Tried to trade them all for Justice Winslow, right? Exactly. So I, I'm just saying that. If I was Danny Ainge, just get the known commodity, yep. and then at least you could say the play on the court was to blame, not me deciding sure. to hold off and go with somebody who yeah. ultimately failed. And you in do the still have the other Brooklyn pick too, right? So it's like you—I I mean, if you're Chicago, obviously you try to get them both, but I don't know that you need to get them both. You know, I mean that they've the way that Chicago is run right now. Like I think now is kind of the time to try to pounce. Um, so Ibaka's expiring, like we said, uh, in, in the Toronto deal. It sounds like Toronto, at least according to reports, doesn't view this as a rental, although I feel like that's what you hear every you have time to, in you these have situations. To say that. Like, are you going to commit yeah. $100 million in terms of a cap hit to Ibaka, DeRozan, and Lowry? Maybe they're ready to do that. Who knows? I guess we'll see how this goes. But I think for any of these teams to really challenge Cleveland, the only hope is that Love misses more than six weeks. If Kevin Love is back and healthy for the start of the playoffs or even the second round of the playoffs, what what has changed? You know, like I, I don't see if Kevin Love is, is afflicted at all, then the door's open to me. If Kevin Love is healthy and the Cavs have their guys and maybe they make another Channing Fry level addition, you know, kind of a minor Corver type, even if they don't do that, they're still gonna be the favorite. I hate to be that guy, but I'll go ahead and be that guy. I mean, you can't rule out a Kyrie Irving injury either, and so everybody's everybody's. Yeah, I mean, to you can't rule out a Brad Beal injury. I know, I know, I know, but I mean, Kyrie Irving is somebody who has gotten hurt in the playoffs in the yeah. past when he's playing that many games. I'm just saying that you, you could go down that rabbit hole. I, like I said, I'm not concerned with Love mm-hmm. not being 100, percent but the fact that his original timetable is six months, it, it is bumping into the playoffs, but. I, I don't know. I guess six I weeks. I mean, he's, six weeks. He should yeah, be yeah. back if, if according to that timetable, he should be back during the regular season. Yeah, no, no. I, I think the Cavs are going to be just fine, but I'm hoping that this little bit of news encourages mm-hmm. the teams we've been talking about to just go for it. I think if anything, like the bigger impact is how. What does this mean for LeBron? Like whether the Cavs fall to this two or three seed, whatever. I, I don't think that matters as long as they're in the top four, and you know you have that first round advantage, and like even the home court to them, I don't think. They're not going to get it in the finals anyway. So it's, you know, like that's when it, I think, would really matter the most. Um, but that aside, is like, what does this mean for LeBron now over the next six weeks? Like the plan to reduce his minutes that's been ongoing for the last seven years and has never actually happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you, you know, you can do it now, but you have to understand that you're probably going to lose two or three more games over that span that you maybe would have won if LeBron was playing 40 minutes like he has been for the last couple months. Cavs have some tough decisions to make and I guess it's just gonna it's just gonna play out right so I haven't looked at what their remaining schedule is but there's enough games on it where you can't just say oh the rest of their schedule is cupcake you you can ease off LeBron minutes and whatnot excuse the the uh the relevant reference of cupcake there but I I don't 
LeBron is already top three in minutes in the league right now. I don't think that's going to change over the course of the season. I think the only time that he's going to get rest and Kyrie Irving would get rest, like substantial rest where they're resting multiple games, would be in the final week or two weeks of the season when they know that they're going to be slotted into one of the top four seeds in the East. So, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on them. Um, but they're just going to see lots of minutes, man. They are, we're already doing that with love on the court. So uh, status quo from here on out, and we'll just see how things play out. Yeah, they only play six Western Conference teams after the All-Star break. I uh, love that how that's how you break down the schedule, and you're right. Well, and three of those are Houston, Utah, and San Antonio, so that's not overly easy. But what I mean is that you know they have a head-to-head matchup left with Toronto. They have several. I think they play the Hawks three times. They play the Heat three times. Um, Boston is on there. I mean, there's, there's opportunities, I guess, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, they're, they're have this great schedule after, after the all-star break and really in the NBA right now, I don't know if they're, you know, you can look at records and, and whatnot. And I'm sure there's some website that, you know, that ranks strength, the schedule going forward, but there's only like three or four teams in the league right now that I think you could really feel like, all right, you know, we can play a bad game and still beat them. And that's like Brooklyn, maybe even Milwaukee some nights. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I just think like strength of schedule is in my mind somewhat overrated because we've seen bad teams beat good teams. Yeah, in often. professional sports, that's hard to say. Yeah. Uh, if you want to talk about college, that's easier mm-hmm. argument to make. Yes, for sure. So who should replace Love in the All-Star game? Whiteside, Dwight, Beal? It can be any position. That was clarified today. There's a lot of confusion. Like, does it have to be another forward? Adam Silver gets to choose, right? Adam Silver does get to choose, yes. Um... Mello, gosh no, I think Beal. Beal is having a great season. He's he's playing really really mm-hmm. well, um, and part of that is just health. We knew he could play this good. It's just can you stay out on the court? He's playing really well. Dwight has been playing really 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 good basketball too, uh, to the point where he's probably considered he's probably underrated uh, for how good he actually is. I know you've kind of been on that soapbox this year with him and Carmelo, and that definitely is the case. Uh, Whiteside, Whiteside's, Whiteside's overrated in my eyes, so I'm going to go with Beal. Okay. I think Beal's probably most deserving as well. Even though there's no positional requirement, though, I do wonder if Adam Silver takes into account the fact that the East team has, like, no real big men. Like, Paul Millsap is the closest thing you have to a setter on that team. If Embiid was healthy, would he been picked by Adam Silver? Everybody would I love Adam Silver for that decision. I don't know. I that's a good question. Hey, I he, feel like the fact that he's injured is like kind of a secret relief to oh, Silver yes, because like yes. there'd be a lot of pressure from like young fans. Yep. But like if he chose if he chose him over Mello or over Beal, you know, I I don't know. There would be backlash. <laughs> hey, he's been a man of the people so far. He would be beloved by the by lots of people for making that. Mm-hmm. And maybe he would <laughs> ruffle some feathers, but that would, that would be, be awesome. Great. I wish I kind of wish he was presented with that situation, but mm-hmm. he's he's gonna look out, go with one of the three guys you mentioned. All is gonna be fine. It's not gonna be that big of a deal. All right, so Warriors Thunder. We won't spend too much time on this. It was three days ago already, but uh, I was extremely excited for this game. Probably more excited than I've been for any regular season game in a long time. Uh, and it, I think it lived up to the hype. I, Durant was not initially booed as as like maliciously as I thought he would be. You know, I went back before the game and watched like every video that I could of LeBron going back to Cleveland, 
And like those were serious boos. I read a, an article on it. I forget who wrote the article, as I always do on this podcast. And <laughs> it noted that during a timeout and in a team huddle, LeBron is, you know, leaning in, watching Spo draw something up, and a nine volt battery came flying in. Like fans were throwing things at him. I think alcohol was being thrown. Fans are getting kicked out. Like it wasn't that type of like borderline dangerous environment. Uh, but I think having a player like Russell Westbrook on the other side raised the stakes a little bit. Like when LeBron went back to Cleveland, the best player on that team was Kyrie. But it, like Kyrie wasn't Kyrie, and it was like, oh, LeBron's going one on one with Jawad Williams. Like, whoa, <laughs> check it out. Like, four minutes into this game on Saturday, Durant switches out onto Westbrook on the perimeter, and I mean, the fans are up. Like everybody, you could see it was crazy. It was almost like it was almost like the crowd was doing the wave, the way everybody just got up at, at once and cheered. Like it was, you know, I think it was Bomani Jones. It was like a Rucker Park game, and like that's such a great <laughs> comparison. Like that's literally what it sounded like and what it looked like. And you kind of forgot watching the game that OKC was pretty much down from like mid first quarter on. It was Golden State on cruise control. I don't know. I don't think OKC ever got it under like twelve after that. Even when they went on their little run in the third quarter. So the the highest praise I can give it is like this was a blowout game that in any other context would have been a really boring watch. But Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant made this the most fun blowout that I've ever seen. There were four takeaways here, four pinpoints in the game that I remember and will continue to remember. The The first, of course, was Durant getting booed when he came out, which ABC completely botched and didn't show live, which is weird. They don't even yeah. do that for the, for the finals anymore. They don't show intro. Well, what was super weird is that they sent so many personnel, like, talent to the game and they didn't even cover like the part that everybody wanted to see live so so that was one um then the second takeaway was when russell was resting in the second quarter and the warriors went on this run and like the air was just taken out of the place and the game was over at that point i thought that billy donovan really needed to to stray from his regular game plan and just put him back in the game just to get things going you've you've made the argument that he was hurting them by so many turnovers but it just you just got to take it and kind of run with it because for every turnover, he's going to get you an assist and a made bucket too. Uh, the the third one, of course, is in the third quarter when the Thunder went on a little run and then Russell started to chirp at Durant and then Cantor came flying out to just get right in there too. And I absolutely love, love, love that no assistant coaches were out there trying to restrain them. They let it happen. The fourth one, of course, is Roberson and Durant. But beside those four things, Nick, it was a boring game. As somebody who was looking forward to it, as somebody who grew up in Oklahoma, fell in love with the Thunder because Durant put the team on his back for so many years and created NBA basketball in Oklahoma, as somebody who was spiteful and vengeful watching this game, it was pretty boring besides those four points. Um, and, and that's like, pretty much it. more than I expected, honestly. I mean, yeah, the, the, that's true. LeBron in Cleveland, like, there was no moment like that. LeBron, I mean, Cleveland got smacked in that game. LeBron had, like, 38 or something. Like, there was one moment where he, like, maybe glanced at the bench and there's a kind of a semi-iconic photo now of LeBron kind of towering over the bench as they all just kind of slump there and look at him like (laughs) that was the biggest moment in that game like this one the fact that you could name like three confrontations in the course of a 48 minute game I think is more than I expected in like the modern NBA like if this set of events takes place in like 1986 Kevin Durant probably comes out of that game with like multiple black eyes but (laughs) Um, I think in the context of the modern NBA where fines are so prevalent and leaving the bench is so prevalent, there's all these things that can happen and the league is so worried about its image. Like 
This is about as good as it gets these days, unfortunately. Yeah, I guess so. And of course, I was a sad Thunder fan because the game was over um, during when the second unit was on the court in the second quarter, and and the Warriors went on that run. So I knew that it was just a sad realization, and I've had that feeling for the first two games that took place at Oracle. Uh, you know, just this overwhelming sense of sadness that Durant has officially left and we're just never going to be as good as we were at least in the foreseeable future so so maybe it's just that I'm a Thunder fan and I was just feeling so beaten up inside we had Harden Durant and Westbrook on the same team damn it gosh that hurts yeah it uh, (coughs) that's been excuse me talked about at length obviously we we won't get into the Harden trade but uh (laughs) I mean, they might have. Just, I need to get grab my bottle of whiskey before we. <laughs> within the next couple of years, they will have had three former MVPs uh, on that team. But yeah, I mean, I, I just like I said, I just thought it lived up to the hype. I thought it was a really fun game. I think we do. I mean, uh, the Warriors are back in OKC next month sometime, so we get this again. I mean, it won't it won't be quite the same. Obviously, I think it'll kind of dissipate each time it happens. But All Star Weekend should be very very interesting. Uh, media Day. On Friday, I'm sure it's just going to be littered with Durant Westbrook questions. How you know? How are they interacting? I I feel like it's just going to be a lot of high road. You know, I, I don't I don't think Westbrook is going to like confront Durant at all, but I don't think he's going to go out of his way to you know try to mend anything. Quick question before we talk about the Gatorade League. Um, thirty for thirty had the magic. I forget what it was called, and then. Magic? Yeah, back Magic Johnson or the Orlando oh sorry Magic? Ma- Orlando Magic, and they had you know the the backbone of the whole documentary was you had Shaq talking to Penny Hardaway in lawn chairs, you know yeah. out. Do you think that in ten fifteen years we're gonna get some s- sort of version of Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant sitting next to each other talking about the glory days? You might as well throw in yes. James Harden. I, I don't know. I don't know about Harden. I thought. I mean, Durant was on on Simmons pod last week, which was really, really amazing. Really like I, I will say like, I didn't, I'd never heard Kevin Durant like talk extensively before. And like, he was just way funnier, way more articulate. Dude, than I got I, I got a theory. I got a theory about that. And I hate to say it, what? but that, that was after they had dinner. Yeah. Probably, probably had a few drinks. Everybody was Maybe, loosened up. I yeah, think I'm everybody sure. was I, loosened I, up. I thought either way, like drinks or not, I thought that was great, but it was, yeah. He, you know, Simmons asked him, like, do you still talk to Harden? And he, he basically said no, which I thought was odd. He's like, yeah, maybe sometimes in the summer, but like, he said he hadn't talked to him in forever. It's like, I don't know if maybe they're not that close. I, I don't, I'm not involved in their, you know, their group text. So <laughs> I'm not going to say where they'll be in 10 years, but I, I do think eventually, because this is one sided, right? Like, Kevin Durant doesn't hate Russell Westbrook. And I don't think Russell Westbrook necessarily hates Kevin Durant, but I, I think if they both like really, really disliked each other, there'd be, there'd be no reason to, you know, I think they'd both just be fine going their separate ways. But like, I think Durant, like he never wanted this this to be the case. Like if you're Durant, you want to, you want to go have your own career and your own life in Golden State, but you also want to mend your relationship with Westbrook, which I think will eventually happen. Well, two things here. Uh, The first thing is that Durant never reached out to Russell and just said, Hey man, sorry. That's it. Like not even sorry, bro, period. nothing pretty bush league so that is pretty bush league the second part of it is that i think russell could have gotten over it by now honestly except 
he gets asked so many questions about it that I actually think he hates Durant more now than he ever would have, you know, based on Durant's decision alone. I think that the media is getting so incredibly in his face and in his business about it that this is turning into a way bigger thing than actually Durant leaving in and of itself actually is. Because you watch him, I mean, Westbrook is already pissed off in post-game conferences, win or loss, no matter what. And so the fact that this basically is all when people ask or you know talk to Russell, that's all they care about. I, th- I think it's just getting worse and worse and worse, and it's bubbling over. And you know it's going to reach its head. And I think it really did um, when you know Russell started chirping at him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and slightly before that, I mean Russell like, kind of I don't, I don't know nudges the right word, but he he like shouldered Durant. Like it was I think it was a, a baseline inbounds play, and he was kind of walking to his spot and. It's tough to not get out of the way. He Um, does. He does. I know, but he does that a lot. Right. Well, I think I don't think he necessarily thinks of Durant any differently than most other players. I mean, I I think he's just an opponent now, and like Russ has like the rare ability to just go from friendship to this as any other guy. You know. So we'll see. It'll be it'll be interesting. I'm down the road. I feel like I mean this is going to keep drawing attention. It's not like the story is going to go away anytime soon. I think it's going to get to the point where eventually, almost for like PR reasons, they'll feel like they need to to mend their relationship. Yeah, Russ, Russ ain't doing that. We'll see. Um, so Golden State, huge win on Saturday. They go and get smacked in Denver last night. The The Nuggets, this is one of those games, like the Nuggets just basically like out-warriors the Warriors. Like Golden State didn't play all that badly. I mean, Steph Curry had one of his worst shooting performances ever. Uh, but when you talk about this Golden State team, it's not just Curry. Like, Curry can have a bad night, and they can still win games. So it, it takes a lot, I guess, to to take down this team by 20-plus points. And, you know, Durant played well. Patrick McCaw filling in for, for Clay Thompson uh, did what he could with 19 points. But when Curry goes 1 of 11 from 3, Draymond Green really, really ineffective, and, and the bench really didn't give them much outside of Ian Clark. Uh, the bigger story here is... One, Denver tied the NBA record for made threes in a game, 24. They go 24 of 40 from three. That that record was initially set by Houston earlier this season back in December. Uh, they put 24 threes on the Pelicans. They needed 21 more attempts to get there. Juancho Hernan Gomez led the team yes. with six three-pointers. I love. First of all, I love how Warriors Twitter, after the game, tried to spin it like, oh, it was Patrick McCaw's coming out party. I'm like, give me a break. You get 19 points in 35 minutes on 13 shots. Like, I, yeah, simmer down, everybody. Um, the the takeaway for me, I know it's like the record and all this stuff and the emotional letdown for the Warriors after the Thunder game. The Nuggets did this without a lot of their best players. So no Gallinari, no Wilson Chandler, Emmanuel Mudiay was out, and I'm not saying Mudiay is one of their better players. Darrell Arthur had been playing significant minutes for them over the last few games. Carmelo Anthony plays for the Knicks. He wasn't playing in this one. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) all this says to me is that this Nuggets team really needs to concentrate on some certain players and just get rid of Gallinari, get rid of Chandler, and just focus on what you have. I mean, if you can do it with this cast of characters, then you know, let's concentrate on on our main guys. And I, I think I again I don't remember who tweeted this out. We really need to do a better you can't job of rely on Hernan Gomez to hit six I mean their starters hit nineteen threes. Like, I don't think you can say like this game is a measuring stick, really. For Jokic maybe. That's fair. He's the story, I think. I mean seventeen, twenty one and twelve for Jokic. Yeah, yeah. No. I mean, how the narrative on him has just completely flipped in the last like 
last month compared to the first month of the season? It wasn't his fault Why? in the first month of the season, though. No, it was the coaching staff. And and it is beyond me how in practice every day behind closed doors they didn't see that he was a way better player than Nurkic. I don't get it. So I, I have... Like, Mike Malone's a pretty good coach, I think. I just... Yeah, that... It it just blows my mind that you know in practice every day you see it and you, like you see what we're seeing now and like yeah we're gonna roll with Nurkic that, that makes absolutely no sense to me uh, but the thing is moving forward this team is building around Jokic like we've started to see the Bucks build around Giannis um, and so this is a Jokic team and I love it I love where it's headed uh, one of the sexier teams in the league but I do hope they make some moves because. I know there was some, you know, some contract stuff. They need help getting to the salary floor. Maybe that signing Mason Plumlee to a longer deal will help them do that in the long term. But they're still super log jammed all over the place. So I'm waiting for them in the next nine days before the trade deadline to still make a couple yeah. more moves. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Plumlee really matters with that. I mean, that that won't affect their salary floor at all for this year. I, I think he's just kind of a. All right. I think Nurkic was becoming toxic for that team more than anything, and they just yes. kind of viewed that as a. You know, just kind of a, a flyer, you know, like see what you can get out of him, see if he's worth a look next year. Um, but Jokic, in the month of November, Jokic averaged eight and a half points, six rebounds, three assists. Cut to this month, 21 points, 11 rebounds, six and a half assists, almost a steal per game, 57% from the floor, 53% from three. And those numbers are actually down uh, on the whole, at least in terms of scoring and rebounding from last month based on stats he's one of the best players in the nba over that second stretch that you talk about yeah and still on the season despite that rough start per of 27 yeah no you, i mean that's extremely extremely good for a, for a second year player so again the last thing i want to say here is is how did you not see that potential in practice every day in, in training camp in practice i just don't understand how this went unnoticed because somebody was turning a blind eye to something and yeah. what an idiot decision that was over the course of yeah. the first month of the season well i mean the nice thing is you shouldn't have to worry about it too much going forward now yeah. with out of the picture um yeah I, this is a team though i think is going to make some moves and a team that i think th- can afford to make moves and not really lose all that much you know i like you can get rid of gallinari kind of like what you hinted at like one of gallinari or chandler maybe even look into moutier kenneth freed like, you're not gonna you're not gonna like fall off a cliff mostly because this you know this team's 25 and 30 it's like you're not going to get that much better you're probably not going to get that much worse so like if you fall back a few spots and you get a higher draft pick great if you end up going on a little run at the end of the year and you grab the a seed that's fine too so i mean they're in a good spot like they have if Jokic is their guy which i think most people believe he is you're not like desperate to fall into the lottery and grab this star so like it's a little more justifiable i think to make a run at an eight seed whereas if you're a team like i don't who's who's a team that has like no star mavericks sure yeah i mean if you're the mavs or even even like the heat right now who are like going on this crazy run like getting the number three overall pick would benefit the heat i feel like more than it would denver because denver at least has their guy like you don't you're not desperate to find that guy like a lot of other teams are what do you think about two teams that are competing with each other for the last spot in the western conference trading with each other the Nurkic for Plumlee? Yeah, these two teams are within two games of each other fighting for the last yeah. spot in the West. You do not see that often. Or no, ever, really. Don't. I, I never thought of it like that. That's that's interesting. Um, but I think it just kind of speaks to the 
you know, I think Portland saw this as a way to get better. It's kind of like we're stealing the guy we think is a better player because you're not using him right. And that, and they probably just felt uneasy about locking up because Plumlee, I think, needs to be re-signed or needs a new deal after this season, and they they weren't willing to commit. Um, yeah, it goes it goes on and on, but I. Yeah, it was a weird trade. I still think it's a weird trade. And, you know, usually when trades come out like that, you have, oh, this, this, and this, and this, and this. And NBA Twitter was really kind of like silent for the first 30 minutes of this trade, not knowing whether, you know, what to think of it, like who won the trade, what to do moving forward. Because it's weird when you sh- you swap centers, young yeah. centers, um, uh, when you're both at the same place in terms of what you're kind of aspiring for. So it was, it was an odd trade, but, uh, you know, we're both in the favor of switching things up, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, a lot of centers on the move. And if you factor in that Charlotte or, yeah, the Charlotte and Milwaukee deal, Ibaka, um, if you want to call him a center. Birdman. So. Birdman. Probably seen the last of Birdman. I think so. I don't think he'll be coming back. Uh, all right, last thing. So the NBA D-League is now starting next year going to be called the NBA G League and it's going to be sponsored by Gatorade. I'm totally in favor of this. I think it's a little gimmicky. I don't think it's necessary to change the name to the G League. Like that seems a little ridiculous. <laughs> I think nobody's going to call it the G League and for another like couple years like there's going to be a kind of like a grandfathering period where like I'm always going to call it the D League. I don't know if I'm ever going to switch over to that. You know, obviously, like if you're writing something, you kind of have to call it that now. Do you call it the Willis Tower or the Sears Tower? Sears Tower. Okay, so you're still holding out as you fumble the football. I didn't even know it was called the Willis Tower. Is is that what it's called now? Yeah, it's been called the Willis Tower for like five or six years now. Case in point. Yep, case in point. Uh, You and I are in agreement. Bobcats. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you and I are kind of still in agreement that... Uh, with all due respect to all the financial companies out there, it's kind of cool that it's a sports-related company, and there's some cool things right. they can do with it. With all, I don't want to name any. I don't want to piss off any potential future financial employers or, or partners. But you know, if if it's called like Bank Life American Trust of of Mountain State or something like that, like who gives Talking a rip? Stick Resort Arena Dealy. Yes, like, exactly. That <laughs> that's what that's what I said to you initially. It was like. At least it's a respectable sponsor. So that would be TSA League. Not terrible. Not terrible. Talking Stick Arena League. The TSA League? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> it's like TSA employees playing basketball? Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, well, I just think it's a, it's a respectable thing. Like it, It's a sponsor that at least like makes sense within the context of what it's sponsoring. Yeah. So that's not so bad to me. Um, I... I mean, I don't, I don't really have too many thoughts on it. I think it'll be fine. I think it adds a little more credibility. Like, is, is like D-League still carries that negative connotation, even though I think in five or ten years it won't, like, because teams are working so hard to make it not seem like a demotion. Like, does changing it to the G-League make it sound less? Because, uh, like, D is developmental. Yes. You know, it stands for developmental, but on the American grading system, D is not good, right? You want to be in the A League or maybe the B-plus league or something like that. Here's the other thing. In, over the next couple of years, every single team is going to have their own D-League affiliate. On top of that, you know, there's some rumblings that maybe they'll change the, the stipulations on if you have to play one year in college to the point where – you might have some of the best young talents coming and playing one year in the G League and then going into the draft or something like that. I don't know exactly how it would work, but I think Gatorade is making an astute observation that, you know, let's jump on now because this is actually starting to gain some momentum. Yeah, exactly. I think I think it speaks to 
how much momentum it's already gained. Like the fact that Gatorade wants in and could have conceivably gotten in at any point in the past and now they think it's the right time, I think says a lot. One thing I want to finish with, because we know this is a uniform podcast, a jersey podcast, Minnesota Timberwolves uh, sent out a little packet to their season ticket holders, I think yesterday, saying that there'd be new logos, new uniforms for next season. They kind of dropped... Yeah, yeah. Are you not up on this? So they they kind of hinted that that lime green color that they have now is going to be a part of it. I'm thinking that in the same way the Hawks have that yellowish highlighter color that the Timberwolves might also go with a lime green version of that. Because if you walk into like a Foot Locker today, all that lime green neon stuff is all over the place. And I think the Timberwolves might be trending towards a, um, you know, uh, younger, more hipper jerseys, if you will. I'm out on the whole neon thing. I realize that I'm like fashion is moving beyond me. I kind of, you know, was with it for a while, maybe, mm-hmm. but now I'm not down with the neon. But anyways, so I, I, I guess if you're not up on this, I uh, don't. No, I'm looking at it right now. Okay. I, I don't like the Wolves' current uniform, so this is nice. It's just very. It's rare for a team to switch. You know, they, they those were first introduced in 2010, I believe. Yeah, it hasn't been it long. Hasn't been that long, and like that's usually. Not a great sign, I guess. Like if you have to change, like who, like the great franchises are not changing their jerseys all that often. I guess is what I mean. Um, but at the same time, this, that that design by Minnesota was like it was already like two years past its time when they first introduced yeah. it. Um, one of these days, me and James have had a Google Doc set up for at least two years now, rating like our favorite jerseys and ranking them like all time like one of these times we'll lay down a a mega jersey pod and like really really dig deep into this yeah it sounds like uh off season something oh we're struggling it's definitely gonna be an off season okay fair enough i'm excited i again i like when teams switch it up Mm -hmm. uh the thing that we always talk about and we can get out of here is that we wish every team had an alternate all black jersey and Timberwolves are in like inherently going to probably have a black jersey, but man, I wish every team did that. That'd be so sweet. Clippers have one. Do the Bucks have one? Oh, yeah, they have the yeah they have the Bucks one with the deer on the front. Okay, yeah. So more teams are starting to get. It just looks good. I love it. It does. Yeah. It, that could be its own separate podcast. Ranking the black alternate jerseys throughout the times. Like why the Bulls are not wearing those black ones with the red pinstripes, like the Jordan era. Uh, why are those not? Worn every single night, beyond me. When you talk about, you know, the major established franchises aren't switching their logo, like the Bulls red jersey is crisp. It looks it looks good. It's but it's, it's like, classic. It's cool. Is it cool because it looks good or is it cool because they won six titles with it? You know what I mean? Like I think <laughs> like Packers, Steelers, Celtics, Bulls, Lakers, like these teams are not changing their jerseys. Yeah. Even the Knicks to some degree. Like they, the Knicks are like the Lakers in some way where they just kinda like cleaned up their older logo. I think that's a great case to be made a great point to be made as well because you look at the hawks a team that's been really good but they can knock at people filling out phillips arena and so they they go hyper trendy with their hyper trendy with their jerseys and they're really you know it, their jerseys are fine but the jerseys they have are kind of desperate to like oh, grab yeah. more attention and you wonder if maybe the timberwolves are doing that you know i've been to a couple of timberwolves games over the last few years and they aren't really pulling in great attendance no, they are definitely not. And I think I, last time I checked, which was like a month ago, so this could have changed, they were last in the league in attendance. Really? That low, huh? Yeah. I went to a Thunder game there a couple years ago, and there were way more Thunder fans there than Timberwolves fans, which is crazy be, to think that you know, the Thunder do not have an established fan base over the country, and to think that that far away from Oklahoma City they could outrank somebody right. else's home arena is just mind-boggling. So uh, New Jersey's, we'll see if I that think, changes things. I think teams also like to do that to mark like – a new era for the franchise. Sure. 
Like, this is a, all right, we're taking the next step. This is the jersey we want associated with that era. Like, I really think that goes into it. Like, LeBron's first year in Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland. I cannot talk today. LeBron's first year in Cleveland, New Jersey's. LeBron leaves Cleveland. They get New Jersey's again. LeBron comes back. They introduce, like, five new alternates. Like, their <laughs> teams are doing that. And when, when LeBron is with the Heat. They, they had a had, bunch of alternates, yeah. They're getting wild with that. Like, yeah. the white hot jerseys, the all black. The black tied. Yeah. Back, throwbacks. Like, the army jerseys. Like, when, yeah. they, when they have a new star or a new, like, group of players that they think are going to be there for a while, like the Timberwolves do, I think they kind of want that, that rebrand to be a part of it. Bucks did the same thing a couple years ago. Yeah, on the future. How much longer are they going to be able to use that hashtag? Uh, yeah. Let's end it there. Yeah, Yeah, you don't want to get me started on the Jabari stuff. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.